0: This is Rugger Matrix USA. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Rugger Matrix USA. Our special guest today is Eddie O'Sullivan and we look back at the Churchill Cup. Mike Tolkien also joining us for the panel discussion as our thoughts go out to Bruce McLean, whose mother passed away during the week. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 25 of Rugger Matrix USA, and as I pointed to in the introduction, uh, sad news with Bruce's mom uh, passing away this week, so Bruce has family details to attend to, and as we all say in the rugby community around the world, uh, our our thoughts and condolences are, are with you, Bruce, at this difficult time. So hopefully we'll speak to Bruce next week, but our thoughts are with you. Today, we have uh, two special guests, Mike Tolkien from the New York Athletic Club, Bruce's good mate at that club and Super League champions, and Eddie O'Sullivan, the USA Eagles national coach, and we'll be covering this week the Churchill Cup in depth. So first, Mike, welcome to you, and thanks for joining us in Bruce's absence.
1: You're always a pleasure to be here, and uh, of course, our condolences go out to Bruce, and he has a heart of gold, and uh, I know he's in a lot of people's thoughts at this time.
0: Yeah, well said. And Eddie O'Sullivan, the national coach of the American team, welcome to the show again.
2: I'm back after a busy few weeks. And again, I'd like to uh, offer my condolences to Bruce. I spoke to him earlier today, but um, you know, he's, a, he's a great guy and uh, we all, all our hearts go out to him at this moment in time.
0: Thanks very much, Eddie. Well, gentlemen, let's uh, do a power-packed uh, half-hour discussion on the Churchill Cup because you've had a little bit of time now to, uh, I guess, digest and uh, review what happened, Eddie. But, uh, you know, you didn't make the main final. Canada got there with the Saxons, and the Saxons got it. But you played against France in the next best thing, and you mm. managed you managed to go all right. I think the scoreline was pretty flattering to France, eh? Uh, what was your um, final uh, thoughts on, on this year's Churchill Cup from a USA perspective?
2: Um, well, I was pretty happy overall. I mean, I have to say that I was a little bit worried with the first game against Russia um, up because... I knew they had a, br- a pretty busy spring. Uh, they had the the World Cup qualifiers, which they qualified from into our pool, um, and they had some quality games against teams like Georgia, Romania, Spain, Portugal. So I knew they wouldn't be ring rusty, and we hadn't been together for six months. And I was just a little bit concerned that we weren't com- going to come out of the blocks uh, at the start of the tournament as well as we'd want to. Um, so it was a bit of concern there. And um, it's also worth mentioning that this... These Russians are really on top of things at the moment. They have a professional league in Russia. People mightn't realize that. They have 18 professional teams, and their players get paid $50,000 US a year to play. So if they're not playing overseas, they're playing professionally. So I have to say, I wasn't that comfortable playing that first game against them. But um, it turned out we were a little bit ring rusty. But uh, thankfully, we shook it off after about 40 minutes. Uh, We stayed in the game. We were under a bit of pressure. We looked like we hadn't played together for six months, which is basically the case. But I was very happy the second half. We scored some good tries and um, put a good game together. Now, the second game was a tricky one because the Saxons are a pretty powerful side. Um, I know they have a lot of players in Australia uh, for the tour, but I, I don't think there's a lot of difference between the team they brought here and, and, and a lot of the guys that went to Australia. In fact, there was a couple of guys on that Saxons team that I was surprised weren't in Australia, uh, like Nick Adabendon, the fullback, who plays for Bath. Uh, and and um, a few other guys like that who are, who are well known in, in the Premiership. So the risk for us was, you know, having to get some guys in the field, and we, we took a punt and put nine new faces on the field from the game against Russia. Um, you know, those games against a team like that can be dangerous. They get away from you, it can crush you pretty quickly. So to, to lose the game by, by about twenty points, I thought was 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 a pretty good performance all round. Um, we saw some guys we needed to see, um, and I was pretty happy with our performance. So then, kind of the shock of the day that that weekend was was Canada beating France, and and deservedly so. Canada really took the game to France, and France were really caught off guard. And, and, um, you know, it was a great victory for Canada, and and I would have taken that myself uh, with the Eagles. But it kind of messed up the back end of the tournament for everybody. We ended up playing France, they played the Saxons, and I suppose we lost out on what we all thought was going to be our second uh, ranking test in the tournament. But um, it is, or it was what it, what it was, and, and we had to just go out and play France. And again, they had a few marquee players. They had uh, Lionel Boxes, um, they had Julian Dupree, um, and also that, that phenomenal fullback who, scored, who set up an extraordinary try in, in the Canadian game, um, Maxime Medard, who's with Toulouse. So they had a pretty strong team out, and um, I was very pleased with how we stuck with them. You know, we absorbed a huge amount of pressure in the first half, Uh, And credit to to Coach Tolkien here. I mean, our defence was outstanding throughout. It's it's probably the area of our game that I think has taken the most strides even in in this last assembly. But um, to hold them to seven points until the last minute, and I suppose, you know, we could have kicked it out in the full and and taken a seven-pointer, but we wanted to try and get the draw. We were running out of defence deep in our own half and turned the ball over and and paid a price. But overall, I was very happy, Um, you know, Generally speaking, I thought, as I said, our defence has improved again. We're up a notch on that. Our lineup functioned well for most of the tests and most of the time. Our scrum came under pressure. It's probably an area we need to look at again. It's, it's, it has given us a bit of problems. But I, and the fact that we rolled out a new game plan, you know, we, we played a different style of rugby than we have uh, up until the fall. Uh, overall, very happy with performance. Saw some new faces and um, you know,
1: got some good performances out of
2: individuals and units.
0: What about you, Mike? From your point of view, uh, do you have similar thoughts?
1: I do, and um, you know I'm going to start with uh, that first game. You know, uh, when we ran out in there in the first half, uh, a lot of the rust showed, and it was a little worrisome. We had missed assignments, we had simple systems that were were not running properly, and individuals kind of forgetting their roles. So it was a little worrisome uh, as we rolled on into the first half. But the second half, things tightened up a bit, and uh, we kind of got on the mark there. And then uh, when we got a chance to go over the video with the guys and get back into the second week of training, things really tightened up. And uh, when we got into that Saxons game, um, not only uh, and certainly from my my side of things, the defense really tightened up, um, played well. But I thought our our ball retention was good. And uh, as Eddie mentioned, you know we had a lot of new faces, a lot of young faces, some debuts out there. And uh, you know to play the way we did against the Saxons was good. And one of the things that gave me a lot of satisfaction after that game um, is that when we came into the clubhouse, I thought we played a good game. You know, you, you certainly never want to lose. But given what the Saxons had on their squad and the types of players and our history, uh, the guys were really upset, disappointed. And, um, you know, they weren't, uh, it wasn't as if they had, uh, you know, done well or succeeded in any way. You know, they were profoundly disappointed in losing that game. Uh, and that was good to see from a competitive standpoint um and as as eddie mentioned going into the cat into the uh, france game you know we were hoping for a ranking game uh you know the rivalry in new york would have been good with canada there's a lot of canadians around uh but it wasn't to be as they, they got a, a well-deserved victory and um you know going into that coming out of that france game uh our defense held we did a lot of things that we had tried to do after that georgia game and we accomplished a lot of those roles and uh one of the things that you know certainly stood out to all of us, and I think any spectators, is just the amount of unforced errors. And uh, I know a lot of the players, you know, even talking one or two days after, are very disappointed in that. That's something that they'd like to change.
0: Eddie, what about the superpower teams like the Saxons and the France A eh, sides? Did they did they really come to play, or was it more experimental for them?
2: I I think to be fair, it is experimental, but the calibre of player they're arriving with, you know, full-time professional players. If you look at the, if you look at the, the, the team sheets before the ball is kicked off and you look at the Saxons you see teams like Northampton, Leicester, Saracens, you know, um, you know, it goes on and on. All all the top teams in, in the Premiership in England. And then the same with, with the French A side, you're talking about Perpignan, Stade Francais, Toulouse, uh, uh, Castro, you know, it, it goes on and on. So, these guys are full-time professionals. I mean, in, in particular, the French, when you talk about boxes Dupree, and 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 madard, these guys have played six nations rugby regularly, so they 're bringing a whole new level of competition and probably something that that struck me particularly last um, weekend against France is our guys are trying to trying to cope with the pressure of an increased pace on the game. Um, I think you saw last week in in, 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 in the southern hemisphere when uh, New Zealand up the pace against Wales, they kinda of blew Wales away. And I know Warren Gatlin was referring to the intensity of which New Zealand played at. And that's the kind of same thing for us. Our boys go out and we beat a French A team like that or a Saxons team. They can take it up a notch. And um, you know, it's it's a hard place to be, but if you can survive at all or, or even, you know, keep with them, it's you can't buy that experience. You just can't buy it. So, um, you know, I would have liked to have the ranking game against Canada, but I think the, the, the experience against France was really, really good for us. Um, and I, I think fellas really saw where, where we're trying to get to here in terms of improving the team and, and how, you know, you make a silly mistake or a simple mistake that you can make every day of the week, probably at Super League level and, and it won't be won't be uh, costly. I mean, you make that at this level and they'll just find find that weakness and they'll cut you in two. And I guess that's what Test Rugby is about. And, and, you know, the exposure of our players to that, uh, particularly the young boys who've come in, um, you know, has been really valuable, I believe.
0: Interesting point there, because uh, Ewan McKenzie said on the international show a couple of weeks ago about the front row play. And you would have seen how the Australian front row were uh, taught a schoolboy lesson by the England pack in the last two tests. But he said, you got to get out there as a young player in the front row and get your head shoved up your backside a few times before you can really learn because all the theory in the world doesn't prepare you. And I guess that's what you're talking about.
2: Well, let's say, I mean, the, the, the best education at the end of the day is the college or hard knocks and test rugby is about that. And, and, you know, you can train all you want and you can watch as much film as you want. You can coach all you want, but all you're doing is preparing guy, you know, to, to probably get a hiding at some point. And, and from that, he can, he can learn, he can take it on board and, we, we've learned a lot, as as, as Coach Tolkien referred to there, in, in, in breaking down the film after games. And, you know, we have this limited time to be with fellas. It's a it's three-week cannonball run. You're trying to get ready for games. You're trying to build your systems. You're trying to improve players. And, like, we work the socks off these guys. And, and you know, it, it's our real opportunity for us to upskill them and get everyone on the, one, on the same page at one time. Um, and, and at the end of it, to be able to test how well you've done or what you've learned or what you've achieved – against caliber players, you know, professional, full-time professionals, is really worth its weight in gold. So, you know, you ship a a, a beating here and there, but, you know, the value in that alone is is that you're a lot wiser at the end of it. And I've always believed you're wiser at the end of losing a game than you are at winning it because usually when you win, you, you tend to take the good things and maybe forget the bad things. And I always guard against that, but human nature being what it is, it's when you get a, as you said, your backside, your head shoved up your backside, <laughs> you realize you have something to learn, you know. And um, I think those environments for us are, are good learning course for, for next year. Well,
0: Ewan was a bit more uncouth when he said it actually, Eddie, but uh, we've cleaned I, it up I, I guess that, so. <laughs> <laughs> We've cleaned it up a bit. Mike, I wanted to ask you about uh, Zine and Uh We've seen him in scintillating form in the Heineken cup for Biarritz and in the top 14. But coming back into camp. Uh, were you impressed with his defensive effort? And, and overall, what was he like?
1: I was, uh, you know, Taku was a, you know, a real, not, I'm not going to say surprised, but he really impressed us coming into camp this year. He, he was sharp. He trained really well. Um, I thought his defense was sound. And I think especially what stood out uh, in that Russia game when we were rusty in that first half, his scramble defense was amazing. He saved uh, at least two tries. He, uh... Made a great scramble where he poached the ball, got a penalty out of it. Um, I thought his work rate on defense was fantastic, and we were all really pleased with that. We thought he was, uh, he was, pretty, he was very positive during camp. Uh, not to say that he's been negative in the past, but he, he just brought a real good liveliness to him and uh, an effervescence from France, um, but we, we were happy with it. I was certainly, from a defensive standpoint, I thought he worked hard. I thought he played good defense for the, uh, for the tournament.
0: What about you, Eddie? What, what did uh, you think of his effort during the Churchill Cup?
2: Well, I, I thought it was outstanding. I think last year uh, we, we, were, we had seven games in seven weeks and we were under pressure from the French Union um, to rest uh, Z when he, when he came back. So he arrived late and he got a couple of weeks off. So when he came into the Churchill Cup last year at the end, um, he really was coming off a break. And uh, I think he wasn't as sharp as he'd like to be. And he'd had a long season under his belt as well. Now this year he came in straight in off, off the play and he had a couple of weeks off and um, he was really fired up. For, he, he knew it was like a, a three-week sprint and he was outstanding. I mean, he brought an extra level to training. Um, his performance in the games for me have been outstanding. It's been it's been three best performances since I took over. And I think it's been down to the fact that he's in a good place as well. He's had a really good season with He's been happy playing there, but he brought an extra bit of energy this year. And uh, I think he's a much smarter footballer. He's learned a lot in a year i think his positioning is better he he defends a lot smarter and and again as as coach Tolkien referred to there he scrambled a few times and really saved our bacon um you know made incredible uh, uh tackles just to, to when we needed them because we were we were under pressure in that first half against russia they got us a couple of times ironically their most dangerous player was their full back who when you speak to him, he'll have an irish accent because he grew up in ireland and i knew about this kid he, he um <laughs> He played. He played for Blackrock College. He played for Leinster Schoolboys, Irish Schoolboys, and and he was in the Leinster Academy. So I think the Irish Rugby Football Union were hoping to steer him away from Russia, but um his parents are are, are in the at the Russian Embassy in Dublin. So he's playing with Russia, and he causes huge problems in the, in that Russian game. He's a class act, phenomenal pace, a great stepper, and and Z saved our backsides a few times by just his pure work rate. So I I thought he was a standout guy this year for us. There's a few other guys as well that really I thought were outstanding. I thought Sean Pittman, you know, who who missed the whole fall series with with uh, a concussion, and you know I was always worried when he missed that and he'd taken a knock to the head. How he'd come back, but he he was outstanding again. I mean, he got man of the match um, in the Russian game. He was he was just like a man possessed. And he did a great job, you know, his work rate right around the field and the quality of his work is extraordinary. So Sean's a young guy who's come right through the U.S. system, right through the hallway, and it's fantastic to see that. And the other success story of a guy who's come right through the U.S. system, um, the age Grid system, was Scott Lavalla, who was on the radar as well last year, but, you know, wasn't quite there. Uh, went back to Trinity, you know, played well enough to get invited into the Ulster A Academy has uh, done very well there, they speak very highly of him in, in Ulster, and he hit the ground running this year with us. And again, it's really encouraging to see these guys who've come through the UI system bursting on the scene, you know, and really living up to, to, to their potential.
0: Mike, what about you? Um, can you name a couple of players that uh, really took their opportunity uh, in the Churchill Cup this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, Scott certainly uh, stepped up and w- was a bright spot, you know, and then Sean as well, as Eddie mentioned, uh, you know, I thought Volney Roos, who came out played his uh, his for you know it wasn't a test, but uh, played against basically a test squad, and uh, he certainly held his own. you know we, we put in a new attack as Eddie had mentioned, so we were still kind of shaping things out there. He came out first uh, first international for the US and he uh, he held his own, he kicked smartly, and um, you know he he certainly is someone that we can be confident in using in the future. So that, that was certainly great to see. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we had a good look at, uh, at uh, a couple of young guys like um, uh, Phil Teal. you know, has been there, but, you know, he's stepping up his game a bit and, uh, you know, we can look to him with confidence. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's encouraging. And as Eddie mentioned, guys coming through the system um, is important for us because those are guys who uh, are familiar with it, have a lot of passion for the game and uh are looking to show their wares you know to try to get overseas uh, contracts and that you know in turn will be uh, good value for us
0: all right mike uh, just be careful when you're moving around it sounds like you're wrestling a russian bear and uh, might be a bit uh, painful on our listeners ears so uh just bear that in mind i want to ask you yep. both about this though uh and first to you eddie was there much mixing between the coaching staff of each of the uh, teams and and, uh, you know, a bit of back-and-forth banter about um, what you guys are going through in the, at the moment because everyone's looking forward to the World Cup.
2: Um, I touch base with a few people. I mean, it's kind of hard because you generally you just see people before a game and there's not much going on after, so it's hard to. But I, I, I caught up with um, with Andy Farrell, who was working with, with the, the Saxons. Um, I, I don't know Andy that well. I met him maybe once before. Uh, he's a stand-up guy. Um, you know, he's now getting into coaching. He was a fantastic player, both at league and union. And uh, he was very complimentary actually after the Saxons game. He he thought we did a great job. He thought our particularly our continuity play was excellent, and, and he, he he thought our defence was very very good, apart from a number a couple of lapses that hurt us. But uh, I was talking to Andy Farrell, and and we also had um interesting. We had I had a request so. Uh, must be six months ago from Dave Walder who plays his rugby with Wasps and was actually in the England squad many times if you come out and shadow coach which I thought was an interesting request from a player who plays his rugby in England and um, what I didn't quite know at the time is Dave's mother is is from the US, he holds a US passport, dual citizenship so Dave came out for the last week and uh, spent time with us in Jersey and, and kind of blended in very well. He's He's a he's a good he's a good guy and he, he, he wanted to pick up some stuff for coaching, so it, we you tend not to meet as many. I don't know the um I don't know the, the the Russian coaches that well. We didn't get to interface with Uruguay. Who, interestingly enough, the one thing I would say about Uruguay is, uh, I, I I couldn't believe the team they brought to the Churchill. There seemed to be like ten new faces in it. They were missing a lot of their kind of the guys that we had played against in the qualifiers, which surprised me because. You know, they still have to qualify. They're looking down the barrel of a record game, I think, against Romania. Mm. And it was surprising that they were short so many regulars. Now, maybe they're not. Maybe these guys have been left out because of a new coach. But that surprised me about Uruguay. But I didn't get much time to mix with them. And I spoke to Kieran Crowley a little bit, um, again, around game time, which is always difficult. Um, we're trying to set up a couple of games um, against Canada and possibly a couple of A games to go with that, uh in the build up to the World Cup. So, you know, yeah, we're touching base and kinda and, and, and chatting about
1: what's what at the time.
0: What about you, Mike? Did you um experience any of the other uh team management, the other culture?
1: I did. Uh I, I knew uh, a common friend of uh, myself and Bruce's son Hardy, who's with the England team. Uh so we got to chat a little bit out in Colorado. So it's always good to get uh get in touch with him. Um, and I was able to talk to Kieran Crowley as well, um, a little at the field, uh, but I saw him at an event in New York where they were launching the uh, the NBC Universal. So we would, we were talking a little more about what Eddie had mentioned about some of the plans before the World Cup, and uh, you know he's he's certainly very excited about trying to get more interaction since we both uh, could use more games for our guys. He's uh, he was interested in that, so it was good good chatting to him about that subject as well.
0: I guess the good thing about this, Eddie, is that after you've played the Churchill Cup and seeing how well Canada has done, you now have a good idea of where you are. You've got to do this benchmarking every every now and then. So you know that more games against Canada are a good thing.
2: Yeah, well, they're good for, for a number of reasons. One is, you know, I believe there's pretty much a toss for coin between both sides. You know, Canada are ranked above us, but we always lift our game for Canada. And and they know that, so they're always great. They're great games. Um, I think we it's kind of an intensity again that you, we find hard to get. Maybe playing uh, another team, but Canada brings that edge to it, and um, it's it's a long-standing tradition that we play them. I mean, th- this year it turns out uh, that we may not actually play them at all. Um, you know, I don't think they have a fall tour like we have. Um, I think they are going to the ARC, but that will be like a U.S. select side and a Canada select side. So it won't be like the full metal jacket you get in Test Rugby, which is kind of a pity, but we'll probably make up for it next year when we play them at least twice um, uh, in, in the
1: build-up to the World Cup. Uh, Euro, just to jump in there too, yeah. um, what Eddie's saying and playing Canada and getting a few more games And While I was at the game uh, you know, in Jersey the other day before the game, just seeing a lot of kids at the game, high schoolers and even kids younger than that, And, uh, you know, I was watching a replay of the game and I just saw a lot of kids there watching it live and to see France, to see England, Canada. Um, I thought it was great. You know, I played high school rugby with Bruce and a lot of us played and we never got the opportunity to really to go see an international live, to see it on TV, which NBC Universal will have on now. And I thought it was great that they could see it in a whole different manner than what they normally see, or what we saw maybe a couple of, you know, the old uh, 73 Barbarians game uh, that we saw 20 times. That was the only access we had for years. And it was really good to see a lot of youngsters seeing it in person, seeing what it's about, and seeing the culture of rugby. So I think that's going to help us a bit.
0: What do you think about that, Eddie? The the, the local support and the crowds for the tournament and I guess the response from uh, everyone from the kids up,
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's about marketing the game, you know, which is a big challenge in a country this size, as you know. Mm. uh, And given that rugby is such a minority sport and outside the mainstream. But when you get a venue like like Red Bull or or Infinity Park um, and and, and it's easy for people to get to and there's a good atmosphere, you know, I think even people who don't know a lot about rugby will come along to an event like that. And as Mike pointed out, there was uh, quite a few kids in the same in Infinity Park. You know, it's a great venue as well um to, to to have games that it's nice and compact and, and you get a good atmosphere on the ground uh, and and those events as well you see we've got to remember that they're also seen overseas you know they go in the sky network um, and and people looking in from the outside who you know uh, wouldn't understand us rugby would see that these these events are take, taking place in, in quality facilities Uh, And that's good promotion for the game as well, you know, so I was I was quite I was quite impressed and excited by the by the by the crowd we got and last weekend in particular, as Mike pointed out, the the number of young kids at the game. Um, So, you know, it's a tough one for for the office because they've got to plan these. I mean, I, I don't really have anything to do with where they they set up these events, but. They are always trying to look for the best possible event at that time of the year where they're going to get the best crowd and who will have access. you know. And it, It's a bit of a challenge, I have to say, every time you, you put a game on. I think for rugby countries, you just take for granted. You pick a venue that's already been used a, a thousand times over. You you sell people the game is on and they show up. It's a little, little different here in the U.S. You've really got to work to get a crowd to a venue because... Um, you know, it, it doesn't happen very often, and, and I suppose that game last weekend in, in Jersey was probably the first big game for a long time in that part of the world, you know.
0: Would be wonderful, Eddie, if you could, you know, I'm thinking out aloud here, latch on to, a, um, uh, to one of the autumn tours to the Northern Hemisphere by one of the Southern teams and get them on the way home, you know, even if they do uh, not play their full-strength team, but and you could build a tradition there that'd, that'd be you know, maybe one way of moving forward. I'm just thinking out loud i don 't know what you think yeah
2: absolutely. And, and I know that 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 has happened before I, I, I'd love to do that. I think maybe not to throw Cold Warner too quickly. I think one of the big problems at the moment actually, which um, is interesting and it kind of affects us a little bit, is that these international windows that are opened up you know there's one in in, in june, there's one in November. Um, and obviously the Six Nations one in, in the spring is a big one. But these windows are guarded very, very carefully by the IRB and the clubs. I know, for example, you know, there was a bit of speculation. It was kind of funny uh, on the web when I didn't pick Chris Wiles against against um, the Saxons. And, um, well, part of the fact that I wanted to see Colin Hawley at full back who did a great job, again, another standout uh, kid has come into the program, um, the reason I, I had, as I had to rest at Wilesie. and and um, the pressure had come through from the clubs in England, you know, that he needed a break um, and we could have pushed to have him on the field, but it wouldn't have built a good relationship with Saracens. And there was a little bit, if you, if you remember around that time about uh, the South African players, again, being released to play with South Africa. Um, so there's this toing and froing about windows. And when, I, I know that the autumn window this year, we're taking full advantage with three games, Against uh, Portugal, Scotland day and Georgia, um, but that is the window. And if we play outside that window, we probably would have to do without our overseas players. Now, having said that, I'd still take a game from um, a marquee side coming back from an Northern Hemisphere tour in this country around that time if I could get it. But uh, it, it's it's uh, it'd be a great idea, but it, it probably wouldn't be a full Eagles team for that reason. It, there, there's a fair bit of politicking at the moment around those international windows and. Uh, You know, you you only get to become aware of it when you find that you're put put under pressure not to, to play a player or to rest them up. And you have to work with them because, you know, the player as well. He's going go back to that club and earn his living afterwards. Mm.
0: I think uh, with the Southern Hemisphere, you might be able to negotiate that. But the clubs uh, don't run the show in the South. So you could get an Australian team, a New Zealand team, or even a South African team to swing by. And, and uh, yes, granted that you'd have uh, domestic players only in the US. But Mike, um, if you could get someone to back this as a regular thing, uh, it would be, uh, it'd be just tremendous for the game uh, and, and a good experience too for those visiting teams.
1: Well, it would be a different look for us. I mean, we have such uh, little exposure here to uh, to Southern Hemisphere teams, you know. And uh, I think, uh, you know, as Eddie was pretty quick to uh, point out, I'd love to grab one of these if it were a possibility. And I think that's a style that we need to, to deal with because, you know, we do, even though it's a limited basis, we do deal with the Northern Hemisphere teams uh, somewhat regularly, and we just never get any exposure to and uh, playing against these these types of teams and the styles that they play. So I think it would be invaluable for them. I think they would enjoy, if we had it here, they would enjoy coming to the States for sure. And, uh, you know, I think with some of the flair that, uh, you know, it, might, it would be an attraction to to our viewers. And uh, I think it would just be a positive, uh, a positive thing for all of us uh, if we could get it going at some point down the road. We, we definitely welcome it.
0: Yes, and I think uh, you mentioned before, Eddie, the lifting of the intensity. As a coach, this must be enormously frustrating that it can't be intense every week. And uh, I think you look at the Southern Hemisphere games that have taken place and uh, all the visiting teams from the north have been trounced and it came down to maintaining the intensity for 80 minutes. It really is the holy grail.
2: There's no question about it. And the game is becoming more intense. Um, I think there's a... There's an interesting kind of a trade-off in the Southern Hemisphere. I think the Southern Hemisphere season is a lot better for players. It's much shorter and they play in blocks of time where you take the Super 14, starts out, and from the time it kicks off, it keeps on going until it finishes. And it's like, I guess, it's like a four-month sprint and you just get through it. And, and it's tough on the players and they pick up injuries, but they play with a huge amount of intensity No. If you look at the the regular season in in Europe, it's much longer. It's much more drawn out. And they keep flipping from tournament to tournament, which I think doesn't help because... And it was even worse before uh, uh, where they used to play games between Six Nations games at club level. And they still do to an extent in England. But if you look at that, you have the Magnus League, you have the the NS Premiership, and then you have the Heineken tournament, and then you have the Autumn Internationals and Six Nations. And I think... I might be shot for saying this, but the truth of the matter is that the Magnus League has been a great competition for, for the Celtic nations, but it's not it's not at the intensity of Heineken Cup. And I've been at both of them. I can testify, uh, having been sitting in the stands, is that the intensity of Heineken Cup is much higher than Magnus League. and And that's the level of intensity. And I would say, you get a good Heineken Cup game, it's right up there with a Super 14 game. There wouldn't be much in it. But unfortunately, you get six Heineken Cup games a year, and that might be the end of it for you. So there isn't those highly intensive blocks of time where you're playing at a very intense level. It tends to be a bit more up and down. And it's a longer season, so um, they they may have to review it in in Europe. If they want to create that intensity, they can't do it for nine months of the year. They're going to have to be more sensible, like in the Southern Hemisphere, where they create that intensity for shorter blocks of time. And that's something that really wasn't thought through in the Northern Hemisphere. When they start putting the season together, I think the Southern Hemisphere strategized their season a lot more uh, uh, smartly on that basis, and you see now that the effect that you know teams in the Southern Hemisphere do produce that level of intensity, and if you match it, you know you've got a game, and and I've been in places with our, our Ireland as coach where we matched it against the Springboks and we matched it against Australia, and occasionally we matched against New Zealand. We didn't beat them, but we were there thereabouts, and I've had days when we didn't and we, we got wiped out, you know? And it's it's not a big thing. It's like maybe 5%, 10%, but that is all the difference in a, in a test game. And you're dead right. You know, the more you play at that level of intensity, the better you get at it, and the less shocked you are when it hits you.
0: So, in a way, isn't the American Super League like the Super 14, then? It's a bit of a sprint, different level, but in, in theory, it's a, it's a sprint.
2: It is a sprint, yeah. Probably even a little bit short. Um, it could be longer in terms of getting players' time. But... That's a good model if we could get it to the next level, which would be professional, uh, where guys would be full-time rugby players. And that would bring the intensity even up more. And I, I've, I've no doubt that if you had a professional league here in America like they've managed to build into Russia, now they've got ahead of us on that one, um, you would see a huge difference again in, in the, in the calibre of player that will come out of the domestic game in the US. But I think that's a bit pie in the sky for the moment. So our, our best bet is still to get guys overseas. And um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, it is a model, but it's not at the level of intensity that we would want.
0: Well, Mike, you coached it, and, and you certainly had some intensity t- towards the end.
1: Yeah, well, it it, it is. It's it, it's a sprint. I mean, it it doesn't take a lot of uh, a lot out of the body, you know, to play. You know, if you're going all the way, and if you include preseason games, you you may have a uh, a 12, 13 game season, and um, you know comparatively speaking that's not a long season and that and and certainly some of the games aren't up to the uh, level that they are and they're, they're over before they even start so uh in that sense um the, the the competition the intensity level isn't there only for it's only for a fraction of the games and we need to up that big time to get our domestic players ready uh yes it does it's easier on the body you know our guys uh our domestic players would have played one third of the matches that Walsey and uh And and Taku would have played, and a few of the other uh, European players. So in that sense, their bodies were certainly a little more, and even their minds are a little more fresh coming into the uh, into the camp, and that's important, you know. And going, you know, going back to the Premiership teams, you know, ownership management is looking at filling stadiums, and you know, those nine months that he's talking about bringing in a lot of revenue, but on the other side of the coin, you know, how long is it going to be before players' unions over there? You know, start coming to minimums, you know, like they have over here with the NFL with the NBA, any major sport. And I think that's going to happen at some point, and there's going to be that battle of getting fans in the seats and getting revenue versus wrestling guys' minds and bodies um, and getting it maybe a little bit more towards the southern hemisphere chunk of time that he was alluding to.
0: All right, gentlemen, we'll have to wrap it up there. Uh, Great discussion on the Churchill Cup and other matters. Uh, Mike, uh, thanks for uh, doing such a great job in defence too, in the Churchill Cup. Um,
2: If I could just jump in there, I think it's saying that we've got a, a, Mike has achieved a very unique achievement this year. He's coached Xavier High School to a national high school championship and New York Athletic Club to a national Super League championship, which I think, would say that's a pretty one-off um not that he won't do it again but i think it's a unique achievement so i think it's worth saying i know mike wouldn't say it so i'm going to say it for him.
1: <laughs> congratulations mike you've done it. you've had a good uh, year thanks eddie Euro. thank you very much and uh it's been great and i'm uh looking forward to getting a little bit of uh relaxation following it
0: <laughs> all right you've got your presentation night up tomorrow i understand
1: we do we do at the uh, new york athletic club uh one thing they say you know if uh Winning, losing in New York is tough, but winning in New York is, uh, can be a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I, I'm sure it is. All right, Mike Tolkien, sitting in for your good mate, uh, Bruce McLean. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, well done with the Eagles' defense, too. It uh, looks like it's improving out of sight.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Euro. It was a great uh, little short season there. <laughs>
0: All right, there he is, Mike Tolkien, joining us from New York. And uh, Eddie O'Sullivan, thanks for joining us um, quick word was it a pass mark for the uh, Eagles in the Churchill yeah, Cup
2: I believe so yeah I'm, I'm very happy um, I think we made a lot of progress in a short time three weeks we got some new guys in the field and I think our systems are, are better now they're more hardwired so you know it, it, it's, it's a good step forward and, and we still have two more assemblies the ARC uh, for the domestics and then the fall tour so upwards and onwards Joe.
0: alright Eddie thanks for joining us My pleasure. There he is, Eddie O'Sullivan, and before him, Mike Tolkien joining us. And uh, we'll see how Bruce is feeling, but hopefully he'll be back with us next week. And our thoughts are with you, Bruce, and your family. That is Rugger Matrix USA, episode 25, the Churchill Cup wrap. We'll speak to you next week.